Hello. Welcome to Chi Alpha, my friends. Thank you all for being here on the service right before spring break. You guys excited about spring break? Who's going on a spring break mission trip? Yes, you guys. I'm super excited for y'all. I've been praying for you guys. Um, if you are not going on a spring break trip, you guys should be praying for your friends. Y'all, Jesus is going to do some really cool things. Uh, for my friends who went with me on the Czech trip like two years ago, we went on like a two-week trip and saw two people get saved that week. And then two weeks after we left, more people got saved. Like, y'all, Jesus can do some incredible things on a week-long trip. So be praying for your friends. Did y'all enjoy last week with our missionary friends from Live Dead? Yes. Uh, our friend Dan had so much fun, he came back this week. So uh, he actually came. He had to go to a conference in Fairmont. So he is here. If you want to talk to him, he's here somewhere. So Dan... You can go find him and talk with him if you have more questions. But we were super grateful we got to see another facet of the normal Christian life, which is living missionally for Jesus, right? Missions is part of the normal Christian life. And so tonight, we're going to look at another aspect of the normal Christian life. But before we do that, uh, I got a question that I got to ask. Where are my book lovers at? My people who like reading. Yes. Yes, books. Yes. Okay. Where are the people who like reading like a good fiction book? Yeah? A good story, right? Okay. Uh, where are my Harry Potter fans at? Woo! Was anyone not allowed to read Harry Potter growing up? I'm so sorry. Can you read it now? Are you allowed to read it now? Okay. Well, I'm going to make an audacious claim. I'm going to make a very audacious claim. I bet that I know more about Harry Potter than most of you in this room. Sad to say. No, Haley, she knows. She knows I know more. I, I know too much about Harry Potter. If you don't, if you, you want to challenge me, come find me afterwards. Harry Potter's awesome, though, right? Who's read the Harry Potter series more than once? Like five or six times. Okay, sweet. Uh, what about some other good books? Chronicles of Narnia. Woo! All right, everyone at once, shout out your favorite Chronicle of Narnia. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Voyage of the Dawn Treader, anyone? Yes. Super good. What about some other good books? Anyone like The Lord of the Rings? Reading The Lord of the Rings. Watching it is good, but anyone read it? Yeah? Okay, this is a smaller section. I know there's only going to be like four of you in the room. But who has ever read Mistborn? Yes! <laughs> There's like four of y'all. Michael, Andy, Charles, and Heather, and me. Okay, y'all need to go read this series called Mistborn. It is incredible. Listen, it's awesome. Okay, maybe you don't like fiction books. Who's ever, who likes Christian books? What are some of y'all's favorite authors? Just shout them out. Favorite authors. Raven Hill, okay, Raven Hill, I, huh? Brother Joel, Joel Osteen. Hey, I know, I know people that love Joel Osteen. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, I know my boy loves Tozer. Who are some other people? Huh? Francis Schaefer, dude, you got a mind on you, man. That dude is smart. He's hard to read for me. I, who are some other people? 
Hannah Whittle-Smith, I'm quoting her tonight, she is awesome. George Otis Jr., that dude is awesome. Y'all, okay, you want me to tell you my two favorite authors? F.W. Borum, that guy, an Australian guy, and then a guy named Arthur Custance. He's a Canadian guy. Uh, I own every single F.W. Borum book and all but one of Custance's books, and I've read most of Borum's books and about half of Custance's, right? So, by show of hands, who has ever read a book? Sweet. Okay, good job. <laughs> who has ever read a Christian book? Awesome, you guys are my people. Who's, who, okay, I think I asked, who's ever read Harry Potter? Like the whole series, right? Okay, one more question. Who has ever read the entire Bible? A lot, a lot less hands. Hey, don't feel bad. That's a lot less hands. You guys, we read a lot in life, okay? And <laughs> we read textbooks from front to back for class because we have to, right? And we don't like it. <laughs> we read, we, in English class in high school, we had to read these awful books because our teachers made us and we had to analyze them. We read books because our small group leaders are like, hey, you should read this book. And we're like, all right, I guess, you know. Or our resource leader tells us to. We, look, okay, here's something interesting. Y'all have read enough texts and tweets and posts that you could fill up entire bookshelves. Yes, yes, you, bro. <laughs> I've read enough texts from you to fill up bookshelves. <laughs> and yet... How many of us have never read the Bible all the way through, and we've walked with God for quite some time? Now, you might feel tricked by my questions, and that's okay. I don't feel bad. <laughs> I did this on purpose, because if we're going to live the normal Christian life, we can't just mentally assent to the fact that the Bible is an important book. But we need to actually believe and understand that it has weight and a place in the normal Christian life. The Bible is not some outdated, antiquated, deadbeat tome for an old generation. But it is the heartbeat and the guidepost for the normal Christian life. You see, if we're going to walk the normal Christian life then we need to see the importance of the Bible. There is no greater source of direction for our lives than the Bible. There's no greater source of revelation than the Bible, and there's no greater source of guidance and wisdom in our lives than the Bible. So to, so to give weight to the Bible and to read the Bible, that's the only proper response. And so that's what the normal Christian does. So tonight we're going to look at the words of Jesus and the example he gave us, in the Bible, and, and let the Bible have weight in our lives. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to look at Jesus' words. Jesus, would you just make this book, the Holy Bible, come to life in us, God? Would you speak through me, Spirit of God? I trust you. I pray this in your name. Amen. So what does Jesus have to say about the Bible? Well, if you'll open your Bible to Matthew 4, verse 4. And read along with me. It'll be on your screen as well. So what does Jesus say? He says, it says, Jesus answered, 
It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so in this situation, this is where Jesus was being tempted by the devil, right? And the devil came to him and said, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus goes and quotes, he says, it is written, he's quoting scripture, and he says to him, right, that every word comes from the mouth of God. And so the thing I want to point out and hone in on tonight is that Jesus relies on the Bible. He doesn't philosophize with the devil. He doesn't mince his words. He goes to the backbone of his faith and ours as well, the scriptures, the Bible, right? And there's just three simple points that I want to make tonight that I believe Jesus is making, and they're these. Firstly, that the Bible is the written word of God. Secondly, that the Bible is the written word of God. And then thirdly, that the Bible is the written word of God. So let's start off with the fact that the Bible is the written word of God. I know that's a simple, very simple idea. But let's start off with that. Y'all, this is crazy. The Bible is the written word of God. Now, guys, this has to be the foundation. This is where we start. Whether people like the Bible or not, whether they're going to read it or they just let it sit on the shelf and collect dust, whether you like the Bible or not, and whether you're going to read the Bible, none of that changes the fact that every word of the Bible ultimately issued from the mouth of God. Now, I know this is simple, but this is profound because what that means is that this book right here, this book that I hold in my hand, this Bible It is not something that men came up with. This is not something men came up with. It is something that God wrote. Now, this is crazy. This is simple, but it's profound. The Bible is the written word of God. And that means that these are God's thoughts and God's ideas and God's ways. He is the author, not man. Now, I understand that you don't have to believe this, that that to believe this or not to believe this is a question of faith. I know this. But just because faith is involved doesn't mean that there aren't matters of evidence as well. And so if you struggle with believing that the Bible is the Word of God, which I know, even as Christians, that's something that we can struggle with, I would ask you to consider two things. First, that Jesus himself believed that the Bible was God's word. As our passage tells us tonight, he said every word issued from the mouth of God. And then secondly, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed or God-inspired. All scripture is God-inspired. Jesus himself, along with the earliest leaders in the Christianity, affirmed that the Bible was the written word of God, that it was inspired by him, and that he was the author of it all. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that's an incredible thought. That's incredible that there is a book that was actually written by God. Right? That... that I mean, I've, I've been a Christian for seven and a half years, and that still makes me just like, that just makes me real. I'm just like, there's a book. This book 
was written by God. This is God's words. But there's also the fact, and I still, I still think about this, and I know many of you guys are going to agree with me when I say this, <laughs> but you're like, okay, Sean, yes, the, the Bible is God. He's the author. But, I mean, there was, there was people that wrote the Bible. Like, there's authors, right? So, <laughs> I mean, there's authors, but God's the author, so what gives? Like, how many of y'all are right there? Like, how many of y'all have thought about that? Like, I know that Daniel wrote the book of Daniel, but you say that God's the author, so what gives? Anyone? Right? Okay. So how did we actually get the Bible? Which leads us to the second point, that the Bible is the written word of God. And you guys, this point is so beautiful. I love this point. It's so wonderful because of the honor and privilege God bestowed upon men. And it was simply that God spoke to men. God spoke to men. The Bible is the written word of God. He communicated his word to men, and they recorded it for all time and for every age. God didn't expect us to figure out his ways by prolonged meditation or by chanting or by rituals. He didn't expect us to go through trials or sacrifices or some convoluted method. He just spoke to us, to men who were willing to listen and who were hungry. And the way he communicated his words as are recorded in the Bible, I mean, what is it that you hear? You hear all the old preachers say, Thus saith the Lord. That was how he communicated. And then also through his spirit where he guided the writers to keep and not keep certain things. I think Winky Prattney says best what I'm trying to say here. This is, this is a funny quote, but it's great. He says, say you were going to write a book, and this is how you had to write it. First start, find 40 different writers, totally different writers. Get some who are highly educated, even doctors. Then get some farmers. Go dig a guy off a ranch somewhere and say, I'd like you to help me write a book. Then find some fishermen. Go down to the wharf and find a couple of guys from San Francisco and say, hey, listen, help me write a book. And, then, and they say, sure, fine, <laughs> I guess. Uh, we'll help you. And then you get all of them to write on the following things, religion, poetry, ethics, science, philosophy, the creation of the universe, and where it's all going. And then ask them to throw in a few things about where they think it'll all end. Next, you need to collect all that information, and then, oh, by the way, you have to separate these people so they can't communicate by phone or telegraph, only possibly word of mouth, passed down over the years. Ah, yes, years. You collect all this stuff over about one hundred one and a half thousand years, and compile the whole into one book. What would you have? I know what you'd have. You'd have the most motley junk you'd ever seen in your life, with people totally contradicting each other. I suggest you take a biology textbook of, from 60 years ago and compare it with one today. And that's just 60 years. But that is not what you have when you read your Bible. The more you read this book, the more you see the incredible unity of it. Because the more you get into it, the more incredibly detailed it is, and you find that there are not 40 people who wrote it, but one person. There was one person writing this masterpiece of a book. Yes, he used 40-plus authors. But he did not possess them. I think a lot of people think God, like, 
took over. <laughs> you know, they like wrote. He didn't do that. God doesn't, he's not weird. He doesn't do that. No, God used people's life experiences and the people around them, right? And God, through his spirit, he spoke to people and he spoke certain specific things. But he also, through his spirit, directed them just to keep certain things and not keep things. There are a lot of things in the Bible. I'm like, why wasn't this part of the story written? But the, the Spirit of God just didn't want that to be kept, right? But God dictated his thoughts and his ideas, and he even spoke his heart to men, not in some ethereal, far-off, removed way, but in a personal, familiar, and even downright undeserved way through words. He spoke his words. And I know this is a side thought, but I have to say it. Taking Harry Potter, for example, again. I don't hate these books. I love these books. I absolutely love these books. But y'all, I'm not ragging on them, but just think about this. At the end of the day, Harry Potter is just the words of J.K. Rowling. Narnia is just the words of C.S. Lewis. When I, when I read an F.W. Boren book or you read a Tozer book, or you read a J. Oswald Sanders or a Hannah Little Smith, these are just the words of incredible men and women of God, yes, but women, men and women nonetheless. But when you read the Bible, you are reading the words of God. That is un unbelievable. But believe it, they're the words of God. It is an incredible opportunity and honor that we have with this book. The Bible is the written word of God, as we said at first, meaning that God is the author. And the Bible is the written word of God, meaning that God spoke his thoughts to us, and we don't have to go and try to figure out through some horrible method what God wants to say to us. He spoke it to us. And then thirdly, we see that the Bible is the written word of God. My friends, the simple fact that you and I know how to read and that we have access to a Bible is one of the greatest privileges, if not the greatest privilege of your life. I'll say that again. The fact that you know how to read and that you have access to the Bible is one of the greatest privileges of your entire life. And I pray that you see that tonight. You see, the Bible was not just authored by God, and it was not just spoken to men by God. It was actually written down, recorded, and preserved through millennia so that you and I could be able to read it and interact with it today. I'm going to tell you a story about the privilege of words. And so, how many of you guys have ever heard of a man named John G. Patton? This is a picture of him. Uh, He's got a huge beard. He was a missionary um, to the New Hebrides. They're now called Vanatuatu. Very interesting name. Uh, a series of islands off of New Zealand and um, Australia. And he ministered to cannibals. Uh, very ferocious cannibals. Um, dealt with severe illnesses and very even more severe um, climate and he, within the first five years of his ministry, he lost his wife, he lost his child, he lost friends, he lost his home. Um, he had to make a daring escape in the middle of the night because he was in constant threat of death. 
Um, and this was just the first island that he went to. He saw very little fruit, but he knew that Jesus said, you have to stay and fight for these people. He couldn't go back to the first island. So when he went back, he went to a new island where he had to learn a new language, right? And so the key words, the key phrases that they looked for to learn a language was, what is that and what's your name? And so when he started to do that, he started to learn their language. And so he tells this story. And he says, one incident of that time was very memorable, and God turned it to a good account for higher ends. I often tell it as the miracle of the speaking bit of wood, and it has happened to other missionaries exactly as to myself. While working at the house, I required some nails and tools. Lifting a piece of planed wood, I penciled a few words on it and requested our old chief to carry it to my wife, and she would send what I wanted. In blank wonder, the chief innocently stared at me and said, But what do you want? I replied, The wood will tell her. He looked rather angry, thinking that I was messing with him, and retorted, Whoever heard of wood speaking? By hard pleading, I succeeded in persuading him to go. He was amazed to see her looking at the wood and then fetching the needed articles. He brought back the bit of wood and eagerly made signs for an explanation. Chiefly, in the broken language that I knew, I read to him the words and informed him that in the same way God spoke to us through his book, the will of God was written there, and by and by, when he learned to read, he would hear God speaking to him from its pages, as my wife heard me from the bit of wood. A great desire was thus awakened in the poor man's soul to see the very word of God printed in his own language. He helped me to learn words and master ideas with growing enthusiasm. And when my work of translating portions of Holy Scripture began, his delight was unbounded and his help invaluable. The miracle of a speaking page was not less wonderful than that of speaking wood. And he goes on to say that because of this man's wonder at the speaking wood, he helped him to translate not only just certain passages, but the entire Bible. And in John G. Patton's lifetime, the entire island, the entire island before John G. Patton died, knew Jesus. Because of he wrote some words, and this man, didn't, he didn't know, but he said, because the same way that this piece of wood spoke to my wife, God's book speaks. That's how God speaks to you. God can speak to you like that. And there was a desire built up in that man's heart. said, I want to know your God. And I want to know through that book. I will do whatever it takes to help you learn my language so that I can know God. And my friends, this same book, that is what we have. God has revealed himself to us. He has shared his heart with us. He has showed us our hearts better than we can understand ourselves. And he has done it in a way that we can understand. He can make savages understand. He can make children understand. Y'all, I know I've beaten a horse to death. But if this doesn't, if this doesn't excite you, I don't know what else does. And because of this, because of the fact that the Bible is the written Word of God, because the Bible is the written Word of God, and because the Bible is the written 
Word of God. The Bible is ultimately the most trustworthy source of guidance. And that's the last thing I just want to talk about tonight, the, fa- the practical aspect that the Bible is a, the most trustworthy source of guidance. And so this is a really cool thing I learned um, back at the World Mission Summit 3 uh, a few years ago, like five years ago. Um, and it's the five common ways God speaks to us. And so I'll list them for you in, in order of most common to least common. And so that's the Bible, people, conscience, conviction, inner voice, uh, providence and situations, and then an audible voice or divine intervention. But I want you to understand this. The Bible isn't just the most common way God speaks and guides. It is his primary method. And all of these other forms of communication, they ultimately submit to the Bible. Because remember, the Bible is the written word of God. And so I'm just going to briefly go through these just to help us see. So with people, people's one of the coolest ways right? It's what I'm doing right now. And so you guys all know what I mean. Some of the most profound, life-changing, life-altering things that have ever happened in my life are because someone was up at a pulpit speaking, right? Or, Or I was, you know, walking on campus and I had earbuds in, or I don't, you know, some someone was talking about God and it changed my life, right? Or Some of you, you know, you're listening to a worship song, or you're sitting at a table, or you're sitting at a small group, and somebody talks, and God speaks, and it changes your life, and it challenges you in an incredible way, right? And this, you know what I'm talking about. This is one of the most beautiful ways that God speaks to us, because it involves other people, it involves intimacy. But there needs to be wisdom in this especially with the Bible, because we need to see, does what this person says line up with what the written Word of God says? And so what this means is we don't just run with everything we hear, no matter if the person who is speaking is the most trustworthy person in the world, or if what they say is the best thing that you've ever heard, right? So sometimes we hear sermons or worship songs that have one-liners that we're just like, oh, that is so good. Praise God. You know, you, I've never been in a church. I went to a church once where everyone was doing that, and I was like, I want to do that. Um, you know what I mean? But you like, but does that line up with Scripture? Does what I heard line up with the Bible? Or maybe your favorite preacher or a friend you deeply, deeply trust, and everything they say, you're like, oh, that's got to be true. But maybe you're elevating words of men above the words of God. I think the best response is the response of the Berean Christians, of whom it was said, they were of noble character, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. This is the Apostle Paul, and they said, look, we don't care how prestigious you are. Does what you say line up with the Bible. Even tonight, I encourage you to take everything I say and examine it against the Scriptures. Is the Bible really the written Word of God, and is it trustworthy as a source of guidance? You can do that for yourself, and I encourage you to. What about conscience and conviction? Uh, This is where you hear people say, God spoke to me, right? And they don't mean an audible voice. Uh, The best way I can describe this is an echo in your heart. Um, I 
even that doesn't do a good job explaining sometimes, but that's the best way. But this still needs to be submitted to the Word of God. A good example, I'll give you a story. I think this does a good job. Um, there was a Christian lady that I knew of who felt that God had spoken to her, um, all things are yours in my name. That's really cool, right? All things are yours in my name. That's powerful. Um, unfortunately, what she took that to mean is that all things are yours in my name means that my best friend's money is mine. And she actually thought that God was telling her and giving her a command to steal her best friend's money. So <laughs> you can imagine her friend's humor when she said, well, God told me. Um, yeah. But, okay, listen, this is funny, but in the end, this could have been avoided had this woman just submitted her thoughts, her inner voice, her conscience and conviction to the authority of God, and, or the authority of the Bible, and just realized that the Bible says stealing is wrong. The Bible says stealing is a sin. It doesn't matter what your inner voice, your conscience, your conviction tells you. The Bible says stealing is a sin. And that is not of God. Whatever you heard. With providence and situations, this one's brief, it's simple. We shouldn't be sign hunters and situation seekers, right? The men and women in the Bible who were led by signs and, and, and situations and providence, they weren't people who went and busted down the doors for themselves. They submitted themselves to the authority of God's leading. They didn't go and bust down signs for themselves. And so we do the same, and we look at the lives of men and women who were led by these signs, and how did they live? That's the, that's the authority we look at in the Bible. And then the final one, audible voice of God. I, this is the least, and, and, and in divine intervention, this is the least common in the Bible and in, in life. So if you're asking God to speak to you, it's, not gonna, it's probably not going to happen. I don't know of anyone who's actually heard God's voice. Moses, if you've ever seen, uh, what's that movie? Prince of Egypt. Uh, I don't know what God sounds like. But even this one submits to the authority of the Bible. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. There are deceiving spirits that will claim to be God or even be Jesus. There are deceiving spirits that will say, I am Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we can test them against the Scriptures to see if they'd line up with the God's character. We can test them against the Bible. You know, the Bible's an incredible book because it's more than just a book. It is God's revealed mind and heart to us. And to quote Paul again in 2 Timothy, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God or the normal Christian may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And while the Bible does not give us a rule, right, for every particular course of action in life, it doesn't give us do this exact thing in this exact situation everywhere, we can learn far more than you can understand or believe from the situations than a lot of times even a direct statement would ever tell you. But for the Bible to speak to us, for God's written word to be revealed in our hearts, there are two things that must happen. 
And those two things are going to be our response tonight. So as the band goes ahead and comes back up, what is our response? Well, the first thing is you just got to read the Bible. (laughs) That's pretty simple, right? But you would be surprised by how many people don't actually do this. And yet this is one of the most crucial aspects to the normal Christian life. If you want to walk the normal Christian life, you have to read the Bible. It's really simple, but it's really important. And then the second thing that naturally follows reading the Bible is bowing and submitting to the authority of God's written word. It's obedience. Will you obey what you read? Do we take the Bible seriously? Do we give the Bible weight in our lives? Hannah Whittle-Smith says it best when she says this, the Bible comes first. If you are in doubt upon any subject, you must first of all consult the Bible about it and see whether there is any law there to direct you. Until you have found and obeyed God's will as it is there revealed, you must not ask or expect a separate, direct, personal revelation. A great many fatal mistakes are made in the matter of guidance by the overlooking of this simple rule. Where our Father has written out for us a plain direction about anything, He will not, of course, make a special revelation to us about that thing. And if we fail to search out the Bible rule, where there is one, and look instead to an inward voice, we shall open ourselves to delusions and shall inevitably get into error. No special guidance will ever be given about a point on which the Bible is explicit, nor could guidance ever be contrary to the Bible. Will we submit our thoughts about God or our favorite preacher's thoughts about God or our favorite author's thoughts about God or our favorite worship songs about God to the authority of the Bible? We might be called crazy for submitting or bowing to a book, but we must remember this book is the written word of God. So tonight, the response in our hearts is to bow before the authority of God's word. And then it's also to just bow in reverence and wonder to the fact that God actually revealed his heart to us and that he made himself known to us first, that he gave us a way to know him. And then for a practical response, I'm going to give you all some homework. Yeah. I know it can seem daunting to say, read the whole Bible. And it can seem daunting to say, test your thoughts and test these things against the Bible, especially if you've never read the Bible or if you're like, oh, I don't not read much of the Bible. One thing I will say is that Google is really helpful. I'm going to give you all that. Google is really helpful. If you're like, does the Bible say this about it? Google search it. Don't use that as a sustaining source. I will say that. Use that for a season. Google is okay. I'm giving you permission. Google is okay. But don't don't let that be sustaining, okay? But your homework tonight is that over spring break, there are four options on the screen. There's four different options. And I want you to pick one book of the Bible, Matthew, Acts, Proverbs, or the fourth one, which is seven books. There are different epistles. They're all short. And I want you to pick one of these options, and I want you to read that over spring break. And I've broken it up where you can read like four chapters a day. That's not a lot. 
But what I want you to do is that I don't want you to just read it, but I want you to read it. If you have questions, text your small group leader or your resource group leader. Sorry, small group leaders and resource group leaders. I just put that on you. Or Google search your questions. There's an app called Got Questions. There's a website called Blue Letter Bible. Explore the Bible. And also, if you don't actually own a physical Bible, then I am telling you right now, Chi Alpha will buy you a Bible. I have three Bibles that I have from my house that I brought, and I will give you a Bible tonight if you do not have one. Chi Alpha will buy you a Bible. Please do not take the church's Bibles. But look, your phone is fine and all. Your phone is cool. But you need a Bible. There is something special about holding a Bible. We will buy you a Bible. It is not a burden to us. This is not some book you pick up and read on the toilet. This is God's mind and heart revealed to us. And so I'll leave you with this quote tonight of Howard E. Butt. (laughs) Sorry about his name. (laughs) I'm a child. I'm a child. He says, it is not enough to go through the Bible. We need to let the Bible go through us. Jesus, would you let the Bible go through us? God, would you let the Bible have weight in our lives? God, would we not just read it, but would we obey what we read? Oh, Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us, God. Would you let us bow in reverence, God, not to a book, not to an idol, but God, to your revealed heart that is in this book, God. We do not worship a book, God. We worship a God who has revealed himself to us. Thank you, Jesus that you are good. God, we love you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Pray this in your name.